G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of Caleb's Conversation Podcast. Uh, obviously, we're back in the room again, ready to get straight into another great conversation. And uh, I've brought on two lovely people who I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, but before I introduce my lovely guests, I have to address uh, something that I said at the end of my last podcast episode uh, with regards to the NRL Grand Final. Uh, I did say that I would be going and that I would be doing a match vlog and that I would be kind of documenting the experience. And then uh, for some of you may already know this, but... Uh, uh, a couple days before the grand final on Sunday that there was a, a couple COVID cases in the Brisbane area. So uh, they will, the Queensland government was like, nah, let's shrink it from like a sold out crowd to a 75% crowd, which doesn't make any sense. Very, very silly. Like, yeah, the difference between a 20, like a 50% crowd and a 100% crowd for being COVID safe doesn't really make sense considering you're allowed, what, 40,000 people in a stadium, but you're only allowed 100 people at a wedding and 30 people at a house party. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but unfortunately my tickets, yeah, got revoked and I was one of the unlucky people that wasn't allowed to go. So uh, I didn't actually get an opportunity to experience that and uh, document that for you guys. So, uh, but it is what it is and uh, we move forward in life. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd just let you guys know off the top of the bat um, with regards to why that content didn't come to you guys um, at all. So yeah, um, obviously we move into my two guests and uh, I'm very, very honored to have both Xanthi and Natalie on to talk about a project that I came across um, through your little Facebook feed. Natalie, uh, you had done some posting um, with regards to some awards attention that you guys did. And uh, I was very, very surprised and I checked it out. It's available on YouTube. It's called Smile. It is a, a web series, kind of like a television pilot type thing. And uh, it was done as a, a Griffith Film School master's type project that you were spearheading. And uh, Xanthi, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you did and your role and uh, what you kind of get up to on a day-to-day -day basis? So um, I was the writer and producer for Smile. Um, I, yeah, I did it as part of my final master's project, which usually for a final master's project, and this is what they told me, you do a short film. <laughs> you do something short form, something that you can take to Screen Queensland. Now, I did um, an internship with Screen Queensland, so I know how tough it is um, to actually get funding through them. Um, I know that they've got like a lot of parameters that they have in place. So I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna do it all. And they were just like, no, 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 focus on your exegesis, focus on the academic, nah, I'm gonna do it all. Um, so I did, so I raised um, 14K um, over COVID. Thanks government for giving you that, um, that sweet COVID bonus. Yes, absolutely. Um, went to went to a good cause. So um, raised fourteen k, got crew on board, got Natalie on board, which oh, she was a godsend. Um, and yeah, and we we did it. We did it in a month. Um, it was February and sixteen day shoot. Um, got it all sorted. Post production was a nightmare, but as it usually is. Um, and then yeah, got it out. Um, so that was really nice. Um, yeah, and the story is, um, it's inspired by the Medusa myth very loosely. Okay, kind of, I'm not familiar with that concept, so I'm very excited to hear more about it. Um, yeah, the Medusa myth is all about a young woman, um, ancient Greek myth, um, a young woman who, um, trigger warning, is raped in the temple of Athena. I was going to um, say, there's going to be some adult content yeah. in this episode, so if you're not prepared for that, if you don't want to listen to that, then get out of here. But most of my people know that we've got no filter on this podcast, so uh, just let loose. 
Um, so yeah, she's she's raped by Poseidon, um, who of course is Greek god. Um, and Athena gets really angry and decides to um, curse her with snakes for hair and the ability to turn people into stone. And my thought was Athena, goddess of war and knowledge, like she's um, she's uh, one of my favourite goddesses um, in Greek myth. Um, she would have been too clever to have been like, no, 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 it was all like it was all um, Medusa's fault and not Poseidon's fault. So my thought was maybe she didn't curse Medusa; she actually gifted her with an ability to protect herself. So it never happened again to her. So then I was thinking, like, what about a story where a young woman goes through a lot of trauma and ends up kind of medusering herself, becoming something monstrous in order to make sure that nothing like that ever happened again to her? Um, and then I looked at a lot of films, like a lot of horror films, that have that kind of monstrous element where you get to the end of the film and you're kind of like, oh, I don't know whether I actually empathise with this character anymore, whether I fear them. Um, and that's what kind of turned into what we ended up with, which was what I call a final straw girl, which is a girl who goes through a lot of trauma and ends up changed into something monstrous by the end of it. So that's what my exegesis was about. That's what we tried to do with, with Faith, with Smile. Um, yeah. That's a really fun awesome. experience. I can tell that you've put a lot of like thought process and you know you've gone really in depth into the mythology behind it to kind of you know be the core kind of concept behind the characters that you've got mm. in this story that are obviously goddesses and dealing with these you know large mythic creatures, but you can tell that you're drawing from that and then creating a really good human story that is quite tragic in the end. Mm. And uh, that part I actually quite enjoyed. So, uh, uh, Natalie, what was your kind of roles and responsibilities on this production? Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about what you got up to uh, on this project? Yeah, so um, I was the director. I actually was brought in a little bit later because there was another director originally, but okay. you guys parted ways because of disagreements. So, yeah, I started, I kind of was thrown into the deep end a little bit like, all right, this is the script. As many directors are. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fantastic. I'd never read anything like it from Griffith. Like, as you were saying before, most people do short films. So I was like, oh, wow, they're doing an entire miniseries in one go. That's awesome. And so, I, yeah, I was totally excited when, like, Xanthi offered me the position to direct. And, yeah, I kind of just caught up with everyone, like, this is where we're with production design, this is where we are here and there. We've got a location, you know, we did all that stuff very quickly. <laughs> and, like, here are the actors, choose who you want to pick uh, to play the characters kind of thing. And, yeah, and we just jumped straight into it, I guess. So you were in a position with regards to casting where you hadn't already selected cast and stuff and you got to kind yeah, of have so a bit creative control of it. Yeah, they'd done okay. auditions already. And um, the casting director, he sent me all the ah, clips okay. and I sort of watched them and I was like, all right, I'd like to choose. Um, we got Cam for Faith, you know, we had Dean for Richard and stuff like that. And I was like, yep, yeah, I like these guys. Let's call them up and let's start rehearsals. So, yeah, we did about a week long of rehearsals and we picked kind of the most important scenes that we really wanted to nail down emotionally. And, yeah, it was just a solid week of just rehearse, 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 rehearse. So, yeah. that's, that's good. I'm loving what you're saying right there because mm. rehearsals are so important. Mm. Um, as someone who has also worked in pre-production and casting and been involved in that whole mm. cycle, uh, I have always been a proponent of do as much practice and mm. rehearsals beforehand so that when you rock up to set, not only do your actors know what they're doing, but everyone else, like, from a creative standpoint, knows what to expect. Yeah. Um, obviously, it depends on the project because some projects are more improv 
orientated, whereas mm. some are more follow the script. Otherwise, <laughs> we're going to friggin' freak out. Um, so I guess it's kind of project dependent. But when you're able to kind of get that sort of practice under your, under your belt, that way when you get on set, when money's burning, time's you know flying away from you, you're able to go, all right, we want to do this for this scene. Uh, we want to change it for this scene. Bang, bang, bang. You get your shots, you get your takes, and then you hopefully get into an edit room with a nice, solid um, nice solid footage. footage. Yeah. So, uh, But you obviously said you came in late to the project. Mm. Um, when you come in late to the project as a director and a script is already set, mm. do you feel, find that a lot more easy coming onto a project like that in that scenario? Or is it a bit more difficult because you weren't there at the very early stages of its development? I think I quite liked it just because like, um, I've written scripts before myself and I feel like it's a lot harder to take a script that you've written and directed because they're two completely different roles. Like with Xanthi having written it, I could kind of have my own thoughts as a director and sort of read it and be like, oh, I can picture it looking like this and like that. And if I was unsure about something, I could just consult with Xanthi. Like when you were writing the scene, what were you thinking about Were this? you on set as well? Yeah, okay. yeah, I was on set. Um, I very much, so after I wrote it and I handed it over to Natalie, I did my very utmost to give her creative control wherever possible. Like that was what I wanted. I'm, I'm not a director. Um, and I really am a big um, fan of the idea that when you bring somebody else in in that kind of creative capacity but a different role, you get like a different perspective and you get a different view on it and you mm -hmm. can kind of... It's almost like a writer's room where you get kind of different human experiences adding to the content. Um, so I was really keen on making sure that mm -hmm. Natalie had as much creative control as we could get. Um and she was really great. Like, I, I was worried that with the original director, um, the, the disagreement was about creative control. Um, they wanted full creative control and... Over the um, script and stuff, you mean? Over the script, yeah. Okay. And we'd been workshopping it for a long time and then, um, yeah, they, they found that they wanted more creative control than I was willing to give, wanted to change, like, the basement aspect and, and move the basement into... Which the basement aspect of the film is very much like the, um, the, the underbelly. Um, it's like a physical embodiment of the underbelly of the story. So I was very much attached to that. Um, and so, yeah, bringing Natalie on, especially at such a late stage, I was really worried that things would change drastically. Um, it was January when mm. you came on. Um, and then we were filming in February. So it was about a month of prep. Mm. And I kind of, at the very beginning as well, when we were doing the interview, I'm just like, it's going to be intense. Mm. Um, it's going to be really intense for that like month. And then we're going straight into production. So, um, yeah, she, she really handled it mm. so well. Yeah, like, when I got her email that I'd got the director position, I was like, oh, my God, we have so much work to do. <laughs> like, where do we start, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's very important. As soon as you get that role, you need to go straight into yeah, director mode and just right drive straight it. in because yeah. there's no sort of time to just, you know, celebrate or anything. You know, it's like, you know, any sort of position where, you know, you get uh, a big promotion or whatnot mm. or you get into a position where stuff needs to get done. There's no sort of opportunity to be like, all right, yay for me. It's, yeah. it's really all right. We need to get a job done and let's do it the best that we can with the people that we've got. And I think that's very important as well, especially finding people that you can collaborate with that mm. are all like-minded. Mm. And within this industry especially, I think you'll both agree, it's quite difficult to find people that operate on the same wavelengths as you. Mm. But when you do find those people, it's so much more rewarding. And uh, I feel like in my experience, I've definitely had that. Working with great people has been so much more enjoyable. Um, and... Uh, yeah, obviously there's sometimes you just get with people and the kind of the group dynamic doesn't quite work or mm. people aren't pulling their weight and 
that's the unfortunate thing that I feel like that's not just a film industry thing. I think that's a life thing. Some mm-hmm. people just, you know, don't pull their weight, but that is, you know, it is what it is. And people have to kind of, you know, pull themselves up and say, well, it's not your fault for falling down, but it's your responsibility to get yeah. back up. Yeah. And uh, if people can have that mindset, I think that's very, very important. And uh, with regards to your project, I'm actually interested to hear what it was like. So did you uh, assemble a bunch of crew that you knew or was it just kind of a mismatch of people that you kind of brought on to fill in specific roles? Yeah, well, I mean, um, as a master's student, you're encouraged to use master's students as much as possible. And I did put the word out there just saying, look, I'm looking for crew. And I didn't get a lot of response back from the master's community, which, um, I mean, we ended up, um, I reached out to a lot of people in the undergrad because I thought, like, I'm, I'm really impressed with the undergrad. I, I wish that I had have done the undergrad at Griffith um, because everyone learns such amazing skills and it's very structured and everything like that. Um, and they're all very talented people that go through there. And I'd worked with a couple of people before, um, like our production designer and art director. I'd worked with them before. Um, but mostly they were new people. Um, and um, I was very lucky um, we even had like a couple of people from JMC or um, non-university um, affiliated people that came in as well. Um, and yeah, I was very lucky that it all worked really well together. Mm. Um, everyone kind of who came on board treated it like a, a full professional project, which is what I wanted. That's awesome. And considering this was, I've produced, um, I think it's three or four short films during my time at, during Masters. Um, and they all had various issues with the production experience, um, whether that was a failing on my part for not being organised enough or whether it was, as you were saying, like just um, different people, different personalities um, kind of struggling to work together. Um, with this, I just found the production worked so well. Like we had 16 days, we had it all planned out, um, and we didn't have any issues with weather. I think we had there was just issue, the one like, day. On one day. Um, like we picked it up pretty easily. Yeah, and um, the cast was amazing. The crew all worked so well together. We had a couple of people who had some um, little emotional difficulties, but I find that as a producer on set, I was able to kind of work with them and make sure, like, my main thing is that everyone should be safe and feel like they're being looked after on set, which is why I was on set as well just kind of as a person to um bounce things off of and to stay awake until seven o'clock in the morning changing call sheets and (laughs) things like that so um yeah it was an amazing experience for the actual shoot um really enjoyable and um I think the biggest thing from it was everyone loved the food Mm. um which did you have a catering person specifically no it was me oh Um, you did oh okay cool um which I hate catering just (laughs) word of advice if anybody asks me to do unit I'm gonna say no um very emphatically um because I hate doing it but at the same time it means you get the smiles of your crew who are Mm. happy to be well fed um and yeah and they just work so well when everything works well that's probably my biggest advice for anybody is make sure you've got good unit Mm. Um, good catering because um, it makes a big difference. Mm. That's why when a lot of those big Hollywood productions have like big like you know buffets of just like <laughs> like 
all you can eat. And yeah, well, obviously they've got the budget for it. But yeah, it's that same sort of thing. It helps with morale and keeps mm. everyone fed and yeah. energized and ready to go. We so, had um, on my current project that I'm working on, um, we have breakfast, lunch and afternoon tea. <laughs> nice. Because you gotta, you got to have it. Mm. you got to make sure they're all doing well. Now, something I just wanted to quickly touch on with regards to when you were talking about crew and stuff, an analogy I like to um, use with regards to the film industry and, and filmmaking is that um, it's kind of like a, you're on a train track, right? And if the train stops, that stops everything behind it, right? Mm. You know, it's like when you're on a ladder, right? If one person at the top of the ladder stops, everyone else who's working towards a, a, a one collective goal can't continue to move up mm. that ladder mm. and it just slows and stagnates the whole project. So I feel like that's very important is to also make sure that you're doing your job, but everyone else is mm. operating 100%. Because if you're operating 100% and everyone else is operating 100%, the team's operating 100%. Mm. I think that is really important to have in a team environment mm. and filmmaking is so team-based oriented mm. oh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, i think it's interesting that you were talking about how you kind of got a collection of different people from different places and mm. different organizations and stuff like that was it hard to kind of get a trust of that or was it kind of just as soon as you met them you knew all right these are the people that are going to get this done i had i had a lot of faith and i mean uh that's <laughs> fitting um i I kind of, whenever I brought somebody on, I tried to kind of have a chat with them and just kind of show them my passion for the mm. project. Um, and if they responded to that, um, then I knew that they were a good fit. And I also relied heavily on, like, my heads of department to um, guide me with who they wanted to work with as well. So if we had... Um, so I know, like, Chase, our DOP, ended up bringing on a lot of camera assistants that she was comfortable working with, which... I'm happy to do. Like, Which I'm is not... a pretty standard thing in the yeah, industry. Normally yeah. your uh, head of department brings on people that they're familiar with that they can trust yeah. to work in a productive manner. So, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty and standard. And I think that works really well, and it worked really well for us. Um, yeah, and, I mean, crewing up is always really difficult. Um, I think there were a few times where we had to put up posts on Griffith sites. We would have done that probably about six or seven times and by we I mean Michael who was my co-producer he started off as um production assistant and then he did such an amazing job with helping me out that I was just like yeah you're, you're co-producer now you <laughs> mm -hmm. um you get that credit um and that also meant more responsibilities which was great hmm. um that was another interesting thing as well like a production where there was like producer and writer which isn't that common but then another co-producer because I was like oh yeah that's pretty solid because I've worked on a couple of master's productions and I feel like they're very hit or miss some of them are just really not up to scratch and then some like this one was just amazing like when I came in you could really feel that everyone was like serious and everyone was passionate and I, I was like oh I have a great feeling about this I'm so yeah. so ready to jump in with these people and just yeah make this production yeah and one of the things that I kind of mentioned up top that um kind of drew my attention towards this project was the fact that it got a lot, a lot of awards attention and uh do you just want to explain what the awards were where they came from and just kind of expand on that because it's quite impressive hmm. Oh, I mean, there's too many to remember. Not to up on. No, so um, Festival Circuit is really interesting. I've tried to do it on a few projects before um, that I've produced, um, and I've found that 
it was really difficult to get much recognition, especially with short films, because um, there's so many. The market is really saturated with them. Um, web series is a little bit different. So Michael and I worked quite closely together to um, research into some festivals. And we mostly applied for ones where there was a web series um, uh, option. Yeah, category. Um, and we've found mostly like horror that we've been looking at as well. Um, it's kind of a snowball effect, I feel like, as well. Like, once you get recognised by one place, um, then other other people take notice. Mm. Um, so that's what it's been like. And, I mean, at the moment, um, we applied for a certain number of projects. We've got about a third that we're waiting um, festivals to get back to us about another third that we've gotten positive responses from and another third that we haven't gotten positive responses from. And this is the thing is that when you're, um, when you're doing social media, you are saying like, oh, yeah, we got into this, we got into that. Um, but I still get those disappointing emails where it's like, oh, no, you haven't gotten into this one. And I'm like, oh. And sometimes, like, I think last week I got three in one day and I was just like, really? Just like, oh, God, that's really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to take the wins when you get them. And, um, and I mean, it looks impressive on the photos on social media. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely Which, have, like, like, there's a lot of nominations. There's a couple of wins. Yeah, yeah. And like, it, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think what I wanted from this project above all was mostly just to be viewed and seen and distributed mm-hmm. and um, to get an audience because as much as like I put my money into it and everything like that and getting money back would be amazing. Um, but, um, in the end it's about like, we had an amazing crew and I want to make sure that they are recognized Mm -hmm. for the amazing efforts that they had. And if I know that 50% of my crew get jobs because of this project, I'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah. Like definitely as a director feeling like everyone in the crew was really doing their job. Mm. Like, like pretty much like I can say safely most of the crew were like they were showing up on time they were doing their job I think like the analogy you were talking about before like something I really love about the film industry and working on productions is that you can really feel that everyone's individual roles are important Mm. doesn't matter how big or how small it's like especially like being director like having all these like assistant directors like just telling someone like can you get this person can you get this person while I'm doing this and doing that it's like so helpful to just have people there to support and to help you so that you're not just kind of drowning in Mm. your spot helping you up that ladder yeah Mm. do you want to actually explain for maybe people who don't actually have a a fully uh, a well-realized grasp of what a film director does on set Mm. I do just want to explain what a director is what they do and then what your experience was as a director working on Smile Mm. so I think like in a perfect world a director would be specifically focused on the actors and the performance but honestly, like, film sets are so chaotic and there's so many things that change here and there that I've got to like help work with Chase, our DOP, on like camera sh- angles and stuff like that because sometimes we've got to change things up last minute. If things happen, if we run out of time, definitely working really close with our first assistant director who pretty much just runs the schedule and makes sure everybody's on time. And we had an amazing first director. Like She was really good at keeping everyone on time. Which was really great. Because, like, I feel like a first assistant director, if you have a bad one, it can, like, derail things. Because, like, when you start running out of time, the quality just goes down. 
but our assistant director was just <laughs> so good. Like a train conductor, just yeah, pushing like people through, yeah, get this done. Yeah, it's uh-huh. like, all right, moving on, next thing. And like, especially helping with disputes as well, if there were any disagreements on things, just like, all right, here's the compromise, let's go with it. And we're all like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need yeah. someone who's very decisive in that mm, role. Very decisive. I agree, yeah. yeah. So, I, oh, I you think go. With, um, with Natalie as well, one of the big things that I noticed was with the rehearsals, it... Um, it helped to build trust between her and the cast. Mm. Um, so I found with the rehearsals, I, I went to the first day of rehearsals and then I was there for on set. Like I didn't see the rest of the rehearsals. And the first day was a little like we were experimenting a mm. bit. Um, and I found that um, Natalie, I hope you don't mind me saying this, yeah, was kind of finding her feet mm. with it. Um, and by the time that we got to set, because I was kind of going like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll see how we go on set and we'll, we'll see how it all goes and I can always step in and provide support if needed and things like that for, um, for creative decisions. But once we got to set, all of that time rehearsing, spending time with the actors and really thinking about all of the creative choices of where people would be positioned and why we do that and everything like that, like from what I could gather because I'm not a director, um, it really helped to solidify that trust and it made it so much smoother when um, you guys were working together mm. on set um, and your confidence like mm. went miles ahead from where it was on that first day of rehearsals as mm. well, which I was really like excited to see. Mm. Especially when you're at such an early stage of your career mm. where you're still learning your craft and, and figuring things out. I think it's so important to remember that we are still learning, especially mm-hmm. in a film school environment. Yeah. I feel like so many people are so consumed by this needs to be the best work of art that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. It's like you need to understand that you're creating something with the intention of learning and film school should be a landscape for you to make mistakes, yeah. learn from that, do it better so that when you get into industry and you're getting paid and you're on an actual working set, yeah. you're not making those same mistakes and you're not having that possibility of getting fired as a result mm. of it yeah. and uh, in this political landscape that's quite possible yeah. um, so it's uh, yeah very interesting I think to see how people are kind of uh, transitioning from film school into the industry mm. and in Australia uh, you obviously mentioned Screen Queensland earlier which we will touch on uh, it's very interesting to see how Australia is able to kind of maintain a film industry at all because mm. the opportunities from a local perspective are not plentiful mm. and a lot of the you know consistent work that you do get is from Hollywood stuff that comes over here that shoots on the Gold Coast or mm. in Sydney and you know you kind of get crewed on for those projects but Australian made specifically con- uh, specific content I don't feel like there's a lot of it out there and uh, I guess there's probably a good opportunity to dive into it when you were mentioning about you know trying to get funding for these projects What's your experience with Screen Queensland or Screen Australia or whoever, and, and kind of why do you think the why do you think that government body is so uh, slow moving in that respect? Um, well, working with Screen Queensland, um, I used to do eligibility checks and things like that, and I used to sit in on meetings where they decide who got funding. Um, the big thing is they get a set amount of money from the government, and um, that money whether it grows or shrinks depends on how successful these projects are. Um, If you put all of that money into local projects and you get half of them flopping because they like 
didn't get enough funding from international representatives or um, they don't have enough of a powerhouse behind them or anything like that, that means that that money that the government gets shrinks, which means that there's less opportunities for little things to be funded. Like um, I was on a project, um, Scream Queensland, where it was um, horror shorts and I was on one of those as a um, unit manager. Um, and like those kind of projects which are shorter form less financially viable they're going to bring back less returns can then be supported because there's that extra little surplus because they're putting the large chunk of their money into international projects i mean it's disappointing for local projects because you want them to be supported and they do support quite a few local projects um and they have been able to do that more and more because They've been funding the international ones and getting that revenue back from it. So it's all a balancing act with them. And I find Screen Queensland um, does a really great job. I don't have much experience with Screen Australia, but Screen Queensland does a really amazing job. And I've been working with a couple of guys from Continuance Pictures um, on a, um, another project, and they work quite closely with Screen Queensland. And even just when it can't be financial support, going to them for even advice or um, connections, networking, they're very receptive to anything that's going to be able to help the industry locally. Um, it's just, yeah, with finance. And I get, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of filmmakers and they will put up, oh, I didn't get funding for this and I should have gotten funding for this. And it's like, You've got to understand the kind of climate around it all, um, which is why I, as much as my advisors were telling me just do the pilot and then get funding, I was just like, I can't expect Screen Queensland to watch what I do for a pilot and go, oh, yes, we're going to give them $30,000. Like, it, it's not realistic necessarily i mean it it's great and it happens sometimes um but, but those opportunities are so rare yeah mm. yeah and um and as much as we all as filmmakers we need to believe in ourselves and think that we're doing an amazing job because otherwise you you're dead in the water um you also have to be realistic in that there are 50 other at least filmmakers in the local area that are doing something that's amazing as well. So, mm. or they're yeah doing the exact same thing as you and trying to wiggle their way in. Yeah, and, and this is the the unfortunate reality that filmmaking and, and movies and that sort of you know landscape it, it's all about money. Mm. You know, it, if you're making money, you will continue to make more of that in order to bring in more money. Mm. Yeah, and you know, a very cynical perspective might be you know oh well there's no art in that and there's you know it's just these corporate executives sitting in a office who go right let's make another marvel movie because that's going to make money and like you know i love the marvel movies but like you know the reality is that's a franchise that is successful Mm. and they will continue to keep pumping it out until it is not successful you know transformers is a good example of that made billions of dollars that franchise Mm. and then they decided to do something a bit more artistic with bumblebee and it didn't do as well so the executives were like well we're not doing any more of this and then the potential for Michael Bay to return and all that sort of rumours spun up. So it, that's a great example of, you know, that's obviously in the Hollywood system. Mm. Within Australia, we obviously have a much smaller economy, a much smaller population, and, of course, less money to be thrown at stuff like this. Mm. But I think from my uh, basic understanding that I have, you know, that I've come to learn is that I feel like uh, 
we, because we have so much reliance on the government to give us funding for our artistic projects, I feel like that's where the problem lies because obviously the government has to pay for a heap of sh- different shit, right? Like they don't have time to focus on artistic stuff, to be fair. Like obviously I'm an artist. I like to focus on stuff like this. I love talking about movies and all that. I want to see more attention given to that because I think it's actually very, very important and the pandemic has proved that. You know, mm-hmm. When everyone was locked in their houses and locked in their rooms, what were they doing? Sitting on Netflix watching yeah. art, you know, uh. sitting watching entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. And that content, is, I, I feel, plays a very important role in society. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting the funding and stuff. And uh, getting back to what I was originally going to say, I think the biggest solution that we might have for our situation in Australia is maybe trying to turn it more into a privatised uh, private company sort of uh, studio type system mm. and because uh, I always wondered why we didn't have that mm. in Australia and why we were so reliant on the government and obviously the reason is obviously because there's so much like risk behind it you know if you're going to invest you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of dollars into a project and you know and then invest it into an Australian project that might not see your return on investment that's very, very dangerous from a business mm. perspective. Mm. So I've understand I understand why it hasn't happened, but I also have learned that it is possible to happen. So I think that might be our solution if we do want to see an Australian new wave of cinema mm. and we want to have a, a new rise of you know an Australian artistic expression because I think we're, we're a great country with so much mm. rich rich history and obviously we've had some bad stuff happen and we've had plenty of good stuff happen. And I think with the trajectory that we're moving as a, as a society you know, nowadays, I think it's exciting to see the potential for stuff like that. And obviously, you guys would probably know through your time at you know, film school and all that mm. type of stuff that you, you, get to, you have to study and focus on you know, the French New Wave and all those other you know, different parts of time that you know, cinema has played an important role um, on a sort of culture and a society and, and, and countries and you know, how people perceive the world. And uh, I think if Australia wants to succeed and have its own Australian new wave of cinema, mm. then that might be potentially a way of doing it is getting more so into the privatised sector mm. and relying on private companies to kind of spearhead it. Because actually another example I'll use to kind of go on this, and it's slightly different, it's not movie related, but um, it re- it's regards to the space race and, and space exploration mm. and stuff, right? So in America, NASA was the spearheading all of the space exploration programs right and nasa is a government funded body and they receive a certain amount of money from the government in order to do spaceship right mm. and uh, me personally I'm a- i actually love space i have a mm. huge fascination for it i absolutely love sort of galaxies and stars and looking up at the night sky i just i love mm. everything about that and interstellar is a one of my favorite movies and uh one of the big things that has completely revolutionized not only technology and uh, advancements in that sort of field uh is because the, uh, the American sort of um, way that they were doing things was obviously reliant on the government and they decided, all right, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to shift it over to private companies, private investors, and let them go forth with this endeavor. And that's when we've seen the rise of uh, SpaceX with Elon Musk's company. Um, we're obviously seeing a lot of other different companies. Um, I think Richard Branson is the other one that's doing stuff. Um, think jeff bezos bezos is also somehow involved Mm. with some sort of spaceship thing anyway a lot of people who have a shitload of money are investing in space right Mm. which i think is far better than relying on a government who can only afford to give you a certain amount of money and i think that uh concept of you know investing in privatized people 
for space, I think that same logic applies to the filmmaking industry. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, that might be a potential um, for us in Australia. But again, we need to remember that we're also a lot smaller of a population mm-hmm. and, uh, and an economy and stuff. So we're not bringing in as much uh, box office dollars as like you know the United States or definitely China for that matter. So um, this is this is another thing is that with with something creative like with the space race, it's very cut and dry like we want to get to space Mm. um with something creative the thing that concerns me with that is that having private companies it becomes their agenda it becomes what they want to say um which is fine um but i mean even like you've got disney and netflix and things like that they have certain brands and certain Mm. ways that they want to create their content and certain messages that they want to give and those messages become subliminal and they become um, kind of part of society like film is so powerful mm. um, it's the way that people understand the world that they live in um, so my only concern with that is whether it then becomes a corporate climate um, whether the agendas of these private companies become what we see if that makes sense um, I mean, it goes the same with the government giving money, that there's that potential as well. But I find that with the government, um, a lot of the time they give the money and then they kind of hands off. They don't um, they don't bring in any genders, which in a perfect world is what would happen with bringing in private companies. Um, I, I know that they've tried to, with places like Hoodlum and Ludo and um, other places like that, the government a few years ago... Um, tried to organise to build up those companies and go for a company um, kind of direction rather than individual project direction. Um, And that worked really well for those companies. But I know from working with a couple of other independent producers that it also had a detrimental effect on those independents who don't have their own large companies and can't facilitate that. Um... So it's all, it's very much a, a difficult industry to balance, um, especially when you were saying about art and creativity compared with um, the need for finance. like The corporate structure, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult industry and I'm very lucky to be working on currently a, um, an Australian production um, and you can see... Like, it's still got a decent budget, but it's not a Netflix budget. And you can see the difference in that and the way that people understand it and everything like that. Um, It's, yeah, it's a tough one. And I don't think there's an easy solution. Um, And definitely bringing in private funding would be helpful. Like, any funding that we can get would be helpful. But, yeah, that would be my main concern is just what kind of agenda would that bring in. I think, sadly, everyone's going to have an agenda for everything no matter what. Like, if they're... If you put money into something, you want to have some kind of creative control. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting to see... Um, how the landscape is changing mm-hmm. because I feel like we're going through a, a social revolution at the moment and things are changing so quickly and I feel like a lot of businesses are trying to like find their footing of what side of history they want to be on mm-hmm. which is really really interesting to see like if you take a step back and you look at it objectively and you're like hmm 
Mm. I don't know if this is like the best thing to be doing. You know, like you were saying about like, you know, like Disney and all these other brands that have like, we want to do this and we want to have yeah. a specific message mm. because we're doing this. And, and those who know me know I'm a huge fan of Disney, but I also criticize a lot of the things that they do. Mm. Um, but like, again, Disney's a, a family brand that has brought in so much uh, great IP and they're telling amazing stories in, different, in so many different avenues. But at the same time, you know, they're doing like shady stuff. Like for the Mulan live action movie, they did, they, you know, in the credits of the film, they thanked the uh, part of the Chinese government that's doing terrible things to the Uyghur Muslim population. And it's like, how are you allowing stuff like that? And why were you there to begin with? And it just proves how murky the waters can be. Disney's such an interesting example, just because, like, with Disney+, Plus, how many IPs they've actually... Like, they own Star Wars now. They own Marvel now. Like, eventually they're going to own, like, everything pretty much. They've got the Infinity Gauntlet of IP. Yeah, they've got the Infinity Gauntlet of IPs. Like, and like you were saying, like, with Milan, like, they do some shady stuff here and there, and it's like... Like, <laughs> yeah, and they do a lot of like you know obviously so much reactionary stuff as well. Like mm. you know um, the uh, actress from The Mandalorian, Gina Carano, yeah. who got fired because she said some arguably silly things online. You mm. know that were controversial. She got mm. fired and she lost her job because of that. Because a couple you of know. comments on Twitter. Yeah, like, and like <laughs> like I read those yeah. comments and I was like, I understand what you're trying to say, and in today's political climate, I think. It's risky to say those things, but I'm also a big proponent of freedom of speech, and I think you should be allowed to say whatever you want and not be criticised in a way that might be lead to the termination of your job. Mm. And I feel like we live in this situation where, like, oh, there's like, you know, twenty thousand people, you know, trending on Twitter about this one issue. Ban or fire them. Mm. Yeah, cancel culture. Cancel culture. Yeah, you shouldn't be fired because of a comment you made like ten years ago. Like it's exactly. And the Kevin Hart example was really depressing for me because you know Kevin Hart, who people might not know who he is, he's like a comedian and actor. He's been in a lot of big uh, budget productions and stuff like Jumanji and all that type of stuff. But uh, his lifelong goal was to be the host of the Oscars, Mm. and he got given that opportunity. And then people on the internet bunch of nobodies basically tweeted and said nah you made a joke about uh homophobic sorts of stuff like in 2011 and the oscars were like if you don't apologize we're not letting you host the oscars and he's like i'm not apologizing for a joke i made 11 years ago and main point it's a fucking joke you know like it's it's was silly and that man i feel so sorry for him Mm. because he lost his dream job Mm. and uh you know, stuff like that I think is happening, you know, in so many different areas and so many different industries and stuff like that. And it's really sad to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a, um, yeah, it, it's definitely interesting with regards to how different uh, companies and organizations have this sort of agenda and how they're pushing that in a way that is kind of, that they want to be on the right side of history. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. yeah. It's very much um, led by film as well this is the thing is like you it kind of it's cyclic in nature the way that like something like disney because they promote certain family values and Mm. certain ideas um that then spurns other people in society believing those values and believing those Mm. ideas like um and then that kind of reverberates and creates more of that um which then I mean, people need to think for themselves. And in the end, we're becoming very, um, very sensitive to a lot of things that, 
I don't know. How do you say it? Yeah, it's like, like a... um, people becoming like I know it's a kind of a, taken as a joke, but yeah. there's a lot of snowflakes out yeah, there. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that. Like people are kind of being snowflakes essentially. Yeah. Like, like you said before, like it's just a joke. Like obviously, there's some things that are like absolutely unacceptable to joke about and but other things like giving a political opinion or just making a joke about something they're not like they shouldn't yeah. have a sea of random people typing away at their phones and computers telling them off and then to be told you have to apologize like <laughs> not only does it not make any sense but it's the way we figure shit out mm. is if we have a discourse and we try and you know say all right this works uh, correctly, or this doesn't work right. I don't agree with that. Or oh, we can change that. Mm. That's how we get change and, mm. and meaningful change is when we have these discussions. And when you have someone raise a point and then it gets shut down, and we just like, all right, we don't want to talk to you ever again. Your opinion isn't valid because we don't agree with you. Yeah. Mm. We don't figure shit out that way. That's yeah. just my opinion, mm. at least. Especially so, yeah. when it comes to comedy. Like, so many stand up comedians get shit on because. Oh, I know. Well, yeah. yeah. But even like in terms of film, like. Even in like the future, comedy is going to change because people are just not going to joke it about already the same. Has, yeah. And it yeah. already has. Like yeah. people can't joke about the same things they could ten years ago mm. without like being attacked. So everyone's trying to be careful, and especially in film, like oh, do I really want to make this film about this topic because I could offend people? So it's it's completely like crushing mm. our society. Yeah. There's no experimentation yeah. because people are too afraid, mm. and that's the thing. Is it which I think keep... is actually to interrupt, but that's mm. the thing that's so important, isn't it? Like mm. taking yeah. your risk with yeah. art, yeah, because then. That's how you create something that people react to that's like, wow, that was awesome. Or that emotionally affected me in a really profound way. I think that's important. I think bringing it back to Smile was when I read the script, I was like, wow, there's a lot of like intense language and these are really dark themes. Like I'd love to tell, like help you tell this story and like to see how people react to something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is the thing, if we don't, if we've got these big companies that are pumping out kind of, I say whitewashed, it's not necessarily whitewashed mm. because of course there's there's a lot of, um, like Disney are trying to make strides in representing other... Groups uh, of people, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's all still very whitewashed. Mm. Um, um, it's not really necessarily... Um, uh, accurate depictions of cultures and yeah. then that um, propagates more of that kind of um, whitewashing and all this kind of yeah. stuff. It's all very intense. Um, but the more that we get of that, the less experimentation and the less, the le- the less um, trying to figure out what society needs to change to mm. there is. And that, yeah, I mean, again, going back to that, film is so powerful. It's such a powerful medium. I have my three E's of film. Um, film must be entertaining, engaging, and educational. Oh, I fucking like that. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Entertaining. I'm going like to steal that. That's yeah. so good. Entertaining, entertaining it's going to actually engaging, like make yeah, you wow. emotional and things mm. like that. Engaging where it actually grips you and mm. it brings you in. Um, something that you think about five years down the track you think oh yeah that's right that thing had these themes and I really liked those um and educational where it teaches you not necessarily like I mean a documentary is going to be educational but anything that is about the human experience is going to educate you in some way about somebody's perspective Mm. um so it's it's an extremely powerful medium and it's something that we have to be really careful with yeah Mm. sure 
I just want to quickly touch back on what you were saying with stand-up comedy because mm. I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy. Like, when you look at my Netflix and stuff, it's a lot of stand-up comedy <laughs> is in there. Um, that's the majority of things I watch on there. And uh, obviously, I think it was a couple of days ago, as of filming this, uh, Dave Chappelle, I don't know if you guys know mm. who he is, um, he released his last uh, special on Netflix. And he obviously, in that, addresses a lot of the controversy that he's been surrounded in and uh, addresses the political climate and talks mm. about his relationship with uh, transgender people and all that type of stuff. And uh, it's really interesting to hear a man who's had, the, you know, been at the forefront of people attacking him, and he's got to a stage now where he just doesn't care. You know, he knows that he's not a bad person, mm. and he can't continue to convince people that, like, I'm not a morally bad person. I'm just making jokes for the sake of entertainment, mm. and at the same time, I'm saying something, you know, politically interesting at the same time. And I think, obviously, Dave Chappelle is one of the greatest comedians that's ever lived, and I, you know, really enjoy his work, but. I think it's interesting that even when he does a special like that where he literally calls out people for calling him out mm-hmm. and he says, hey, like, I'm not a bad person. I'm doing this, this, this to accomplish this, this, this. People are enjoying it. The majority of people are enjoying it, mm-hmm. but it's like a small minority of vocal people on Twitter yeah. like to get up in arms. And yet, even after he talks about all that, people who haven't watched it, I, I recommend checking it out. I think it's called uh, The Closer. It's on Netflix, Dave Chappelle's special. And uh, he, he literally calls all this stuff out and yet, even after he does all this and kind of lays it out and makes his point known and sets the record straight if you will mm. he still gets people come online and attack him for it it's just it doesn't make any sense to me it's yeah. very very strange mm. and i think it's just a reflection of people like to be outraged i think it's popular yeah. to be outraged would you agree yeah, yeah. I, think so. I think people um if somebody says something they don't agree with like that's it i hate this person i'm never gonna support them in anything like people just like you said they just love to be angry and they love to talk about it and create a mob of people that are also angry and it destroys people's lives pretty much and it's like i don't know people just do it so loosely it's Mm. people want polarized um people are very black and white i find um people want polarized opinions like people either love or hate yeah there's one right there's one wrong but that's not really how works again me coming as a person who who loves talking about movies and and is very uh, likes to debate movies and and, oh this movie was good this movie wasn't um i think there is definitely a way to have those conversations where i i love something you hate something and yet we can still find a mutual yeah. respect mm. and have a conversation that is still, like, worthwhile. Yeah, I think because if you love it, yeah. a, Sorry, if you love a movie, you can still, like, find things about it that are not quite up to scratch because no movie's going to be perfect, but no movie's going to be completely horrid either. So there's always so some... maybe um, The Room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like then that. you just throw spoons and everything's golden. Yeah, like, how many exactly. people go to those? You always got to find the kind of positive elements mm, of things. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that's really important because it's not just movies, it's, you know, politics or yeah, anything, everything. you know, yeah. just if you can find common ground, I think that's really, really important. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can do that is if we have, if we come together and have this discourse and figure it out amongst mm. people with, you know, rational thought. And, and critical thinking. I think that's so important. But anyway, I feel like this has kind of gone on a rabbit hole, but I feel like it's <laughs> been a really good conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really, I think it's worthwhile, this kind of, this yeah. rabbit hole that we've gone down. Mm. Um, now, I do want to kind of steer it back in the direction of your project that you worked yeah. on, Smile. Um, obviously, you guys distributed and posted it on YouTube to kind of grab an audience. Mm. And uh, I want to understand why you guys did that because I think... Actually, I'll let you guys explain and then I'll tell tell you my thoughts. So, um, 
The thought was, because I was very much of the opinion that we push through post-production really quickly and we um, get, like, we do a cinema screening, mm. we get it out, um, get it viewed. Um, I am of the, like, I've worked on other projects before where it's like a short film or something like that and three years later you get to see it and you work on this project and you're just like, okay, you forget about it and then it's like, oh, okay, now I can see it, that's great. Um, and with short films that kind of has to happen because a lot of the time you need premiere status for um, festivals. Looking into the festivals at the beginning of stages of the project, a lot of web series ones, they don't require that. Um... They don't require premiere status. They just, they need to be able to be viewed and that's the main thing. Um, and what I wanted to do was make sure, again, the whole project was oriented around the cast and crew making sure that they had something on their books that was going to get them jobs and going to get them um, recognition. Um, so pushing through post-production and getting it um, cinema screened and then getting it out on YouTube and getting it just easily accessible was my main goal. Um, the downside with something like that is that then you go like, oh, it's been up for this long and it's only gotten this many views and things like that. Like you don't have, um, if you don't have eyeballs on it quickly then people kind of forget about it and things like that but at the same time a lot of short films and things that I've worked on um where they they wait and they hold off with distribution people forget about it anyway so um we have applied to a couple of distribution platforms as well to see whether they'll distribute it too to get a bit more distribution um but I just wanted to get it out there and just make sure that the people who were involved the people who supported us um, were able to kind of continue that um, that experience with it rather than having to wait and wait and wait for something to happen. Mm. Um, and I think that that's paid off. Um, we've got, like, our main actress, Cam, has been able to sign with um, a great agent and has got other projects coming her way because... That's amazing, wow. Yeah, yeah. because she was able to show the content to her agent and um yeah it's like and I know that Chase um I mean it's probably not all because of Smile but she's been able to get a camera attachment on a, a feature I think it is um and so like we're, we're seeing the rewards coming in the dividends coming in um already um yeah, I think that YouTube, as much as it's a saturated environment, it at least gets something viewable. Um, Vimeo, fine, but it's... It's not mainstream. Yeah. Um, YouTube has a monopoly. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of why we went down that road. Yeah. I think yeah. especially as well having the entire series completed as opposed to like just having this pilot... Like, people can just, like, you know, binge through it or, like, when we had our screening, we just watched through all the episodes in one sitting. And just, like, everyone just experiencing this big emotional journey from start to finish and mm. not having, like, some sort of paywall because it's, like, exclusive to certain, like, things or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, when you lock things behind a paywall, it's always yeah. that kind of uh, boundary to entry, right? Mm. Mm. And, I mean, it's great to, to get money back. Yeah. And, like I was saying before... Money would be great. Love money. 
Money helps yeah. with everything. Hmm. Um, but the main thing is to get those eyeballs and to get the crew and the cast hmm. recognized. And to bounce off that, I think sometimes you have to take these risks earlier in life and invest in something that may not see an immediate return, hmm. but the potential and the trajectory is there hmm. for you to make it back. You know, I think because actually this is another really important thing is I feel like so many young people are so like, I need to get from A to Z within two years. Mm. And, I, I, you know, by the, by the time I'm 24, I want to be a full-time person and doing this and doing that. And, like, I want to be, like, perfect by 24. It's like, no, life isn't that simple and it's never that easy. Mm. So sometimes I feel like you need to, you know, move the chess pieces in the right way so that, you know, you can eventually get your queen to the other side of the mm. ch- chessboard and be like, all right, now I've got control and I can do what I want. Mm. Because I feel like so many people, when they want to figure out what their purpose in life is, I think people want to choose what they want to do, right? Yeah. And I think that's the good thing about working in film is that you kind of get to choose the artistic projects that you get to be a part of, mm. which is exciting, but also sometimes scary. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the why, the reasons why you went to YouTube and put it there and all that? Um. Yeah, it was just to to make it available. Um, Yeah, I mean, looking into other distribution platforms, like we were looking into actually getting um, getting like a sales agent to try to sell it to distribution platforms like Amazon and um, Alter and things like that. and, I mean, that would have been good, but, again, like, then you have to have a subscription to Amazon Prime in order to watch it. And maybe it gets more eyeballs that way. I don't know. We didn't go down that road. But, um, yeah, it was just – it was a case of get it out there. Yeah. I think there's much. something as well about being able to just, like, somebody ask, oh, this looks cool, where can I watch it? And being like, hey, it's on YouTube. Here's the link. Like That instant yeah. factor. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what happened with you and me. Yeah, I was exactly. like, hey, yeah. Natalie, is this, can I watch this thing? And I was like, yep, yeah, here it's it right is. Here. Here's the link. Yeah. 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 Which I think is way more beneficial, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump into my thoughts on it. I yeah. think it's a really, really good move to put it on YouTube. And uh, you were talking about, like, uh, with regards to viewership and eyeballs. Uh, I think this is where people fall down. They're like, all right, I'm just going to put it on the internet and then we'll see what happens. Mm. And I think when you're doing anything like this where you've got sort of, like, so much investment behind it or you want to see an end result with it with regards to viewership or numbers or whatever, um, I still think it's important to have marketing behind it. Mm. You know, like, you go to see a movie in theaters, it has a marketing campaign. You know, Netflix TV show has a marketing campaign. You see bus ads and YouTube trailers and Mm. all the other crap that gets fed to you on social media. Mm. Um, So I think even when you're doing stuff like this, it's still really important to have a marketing campaign, whatever that is, whether it's posters or some sort of social media engagement or a, a fan event or whatever, hmm. whatever it may yeah, be. Like There's so many different a, ways to do it, yeah. We have a Facebook and an Instagram for Smile as well. And like, we're What is the Facebook and Instagram? Is it got like a at thing? Or? At smile.theseries. Okay, go mm-hmm. follow it. <laughs> but yeah, like where we, when we were still like in production, we were posting like little videos from on BTS set. BTS stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Behind okay. the, all this behind I the like scenes stuff, yeah. little like... Um, photos like hey meet the director meet the producer you know stuff like that so just kind of get the ball going and get people into it even mm. back when we were just starting like mm. I think even you started that before I even came yeah, on yeah well. I mean I hate social media I'm just gonna say I hate social media um but I'm not a fan of it either yeah have you seen the social dilemma 
No, I haven't. Oh, okay. We'll uh, watch it because then I'll make you hate social media. Yeah, more. I don't know. I'd probably end up just boycotting Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah, you probably should. We probably all should. <laughs> we probably all should. Yeah. They've got us by the yeah. hook, line, and sink us. Yeah. Anyway, um, continue. But yeah, so I found with this, I was very much interested in having a social media presence from the beginning. And that was another reason why I wanted to get it out quite quickly, is because I was just like, I'm running out of content. Um, so. Having that social media presence and building up an audience before we distributed was something very important to me. And we had a couple of social media people on. I've ended up taking it over because it's a very long haul kind of um, aspect of production. Like you, you can't have it done in in the. There's time no it end date for it. Yeah. Yeah, it just continues. Um, and I mean, at the moment, I'm a bit lax with it because I'm working. 50 to 55 hour weeks um so I don't really get the time to do anything but um trying to at least keep people updated on the festivals mm. things like that and we've still got a pretty decent following I think oh I can't remember how many people we're up to and I'm not going to say what I think because it's probably completely wrong um but we're at a, a decent number of people that are actually following um and keeping them updated and making sure that it's open to them commenting back and having thoughts about it and sharing it with their friends and family and mm. things like that I think is quite important. Because, um, yeah, the other good thing about when you post stuff on the internet or, or YouTube or whatever it may be mm. is that there's always that possibility of it just blowing up mm. and just going viral. Like, you know, I've had a couple of videos where I'm like, wow, I did not expect it to get that many views. It's never yeah. what so, you expected. To be. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes, see, the weird thing about YouTube is like, if you want to go really in depth and figure out all the analytics and abuse that system, then sure. Mm. But, you know, sometimes the algorithm just works in your favor, you yeah. know, and that's the weird thing with these sort of situations is, that, you know, sometimes it might just work out in your favor. Mm. And uh, the other good thing about the internet is that it doesn't have to be an immediate pop-off as well. Like, mm. you know, you might upload something in, let's say, January mm. and it gets like, let's say, a 1,000 views by the time we get to now, October, right? Mm. And then you get to November and then, boom, all of a sudden it gets like 50,000 views. Mm. That's how the internet works sometimes, yeah. you know? You People know, a lot of, discover things like five years yeah. later and it's I'll, like, oh, I'll, why is this five-year-old video on my trending? Like, yeah, a lot of viral videos come up that way, you know? Like it'll be posted in like, what, 2017 and then all of a sudden it's getting millions of views mm. now. It's like, what the hell? It doesn't make any sense. But that's how these things work sometimes, mm. yeah. And you just have to hope that it's for the right reason. For yeah. the right reasons. That's a very good point. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to trend because of cancer culture. That's for yeah. sure. No, um, none of us do. God but no, no, I'm just waiting for um, Cam and Natalie to become really famous so that then people <laughs> go back to it. So, yeah. yeah, this, chop, this chop. was her starting project. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my next question is with regards to this whole distribution thing is uh, what do you think, and this is for both of you, what do you think is more beneficial? Do you reckon going down this online distribution method where you rely on social media and kind of getting it out to as many eyeballs as possible relying is uh, on that viewership uh, instant viewership i guess or going down the festival circuit and, or slash the uh you know more mainstream legit process where you show it to industry professionals so what do you think is more beneficial going straight online or down the industry circuit well we're going down pretty much a combination of both mm -hmm. um the beauty of web series is that people expect it to be online um a short film you kind of have to choose which way you go down. Um, but that's why I wanted to do a web series in the first place. Um, the the two reasons was character development. You can develop a character over a long-term um, time period. 
but also the fact that, yeah, it's expected to be online. So you, you kind of lose that choice um, in the equation. So you get to have everything. You get to have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had um, interest from a production company that then wants to make it into a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And if it's a feature film, then they can sell it. Um, so... Um, We've been able to do that because they've been able to view it on YouTube, because they've been able to see the social media presence, because they've Mm. been able to see the festival circuit. Like, all of these factors adding in give them an idea of where Mm. it could go. Very simply, that's why I think that option is better, but Mm. yeah. Yeah, so short films, your hands are tied a bit more because if you put it out online, then you lose your festivals. Um, And if you put it out online and it doesn't get all the views that it needs and it doesn't have the festival recognition, then industry people won't be interested in it. So you kind of, mm. it's this trifecta that you you have to be really careful with. But yeah, web series, we bypass mm. yeah. that. I think the beauty of it being a web series as well is like the format it is because they're kind of like about 10 to 15 minute episodes each that kind of make up about an hour. So there is that like opportunity to make it a feature, but there's also like if people, because people have short attention spans these days, like seeing that a video is 10 minutes long is like, oh yeah, I can get through that. And then they get hooked and then oh, and watch another one and another one suddenly they've finished it all in one sitting. Yeah. yeah. The idea of this, uh, people's attention span, I always find it an interesting conversation because it's like people either have one of two things. They have a really short attention span where it's like, you know, three to five seconds, mm. or it's like they're sitting around listening to a three-hour podcast. Yeah, it's it's really weird how there's that kind of two polar opposites. Mm. You know, like I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's a psychological, scientific answer for it. Um, I obviously know that the reason why we con- con- are constantly scrolling as a generation is because of that sort of addictive, mm. sort of. Um, uh, again, the social dilemma talks about this. If you haven't seen the social dilemma on Netflix, I implore you, please watch it or change your whole perception of how social media works. And I think it's one of the most important documentaries that's come out in recent times. Um, but yeah, all that sort of stuff is really interesting with regards to grabbing people's attention and maintaining eyeballs and and people basically keeping people sucked in. Because within the television format, I think that's why... Uh, the cliffhanger trope has become so popular because mm. it's like, all right, if we leave it uh, n- like uh, open-ended, then people will be like, oh, I need to find out what happens next. Mm. And I feel like that was kind of the, the the origin or the birth of that sort of like attention span and grabbing people's attention. Would you agree? Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, and the beauty of the web series, the way that it is as well, is episode six kind of sits as its own little short film in a way. Um, You don't get the backstory of everything that kind of brings her to that point, Um, but you get a bit of an idea um, of what's happened. And it's kind of, it was almost accidental. Um, When I was writing the scripts, I did want to kind of create that, and I did look back on episode six and make sure that it kind of worked as its own entity. But that's worked well for, because a lot of web series um, festivals they only want to see one episode um, because, of course, like they can't show a whole series mm. for 16 different projects. They want to be able to pick lots of different projects but only show one episode of each one. So we've had um, we've ended up with the project on um, Film Freeway. It's just episode six that's there. And when we did the festival um, applications in the cover letter, I was just like, but if you want to see the whole thing, you can check it out, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's really interesting kind of 
I, I guess what we tried to do was try to cover all bases. Mm. Be like, yeah, we've got a short film option. It's It could be a feature. Um, it's a full series. Like mm. everything that we could get out of something, we tried to get out of it. Yeah, especially like what you were saying before, like having all this social media and like the opportunity for this to go in mul- multiple different directions, like to get future funding for something more. Mm. There's like, it's a lot more open to... To that. Were you thinking about that when you were, were writing the script for it, the marketability of it? Yeah, um, I definitely had my producer brain on um, okay. quite a bit. Um, so when I was first thinking about the story, I kind of was looking at a short film um, and I had some advice from an advisor who kind of said, like, have you thought about web series? And I kind of, because I was thinking short form or feature, what would I do? Um, how am I going to get it? kind of covering all those bases the most um and that's when I went down the web series format and it was actually because um I was working on film school the musical which was a project um Dean Jerkoff's project shout out to Dean was on episode one yeah shout out to Dean um I was part of the writer's room with um the the first um like talking about the series and everything like that and I did um an original pilot um, script that then was kind of pieces of that were taken to kind of amalgamate into the the pilot episode. Um, Shelley Penelope, um, all my idea. Um, love her character. Um, so yeah, so um, yeah, I kind of went down like maybe a web series is the best way to go and it just worked really well with the concept of kind of building each day as an episode um, on her journey and being able to kind of have this kind of slow burn horror um, really appealed to me. Um, and, yeah, and it, it kind of, it would work as a feature as well, but I feel like having that episodic, like you were saying, mm. means that people can have like a bite-sized chunk that can be yeah. like, they're not going like, oh, God, I've got to watch an hour and a half of this kind of mm. indie production that I don't know yeah. <laughs> what the quality is going to be like. They can instead watch 10 minutes and be like, Oh, okay, it's not bad. I'll, I'll give another yeah. episode a shot. Yeah, I think especially like because um I've only really worked on short films, so this was the first time that was like something a lot bigger. Seeing it in its parts, so, like it's not an hour feature; it's a hour miniseries sort of. So even like in the editing room, it was like you edit one ep- episode, one, then two, then three, then four, instead of just being a um sorry overwhelmed by like. There's a there's this huge production we have to do, but it feels a lot more can, like there's it's like bite sized pieces, especially for like, like me as a director and like the crew as well, like just feeling like we've got these little bites that all make up one thing. Did you guys shoot it sequentially? Like, did no. you so shot it out of order? <laughs> yeah. Okay, is that trickier from a directing perspective? Like Not trying really. to figure out think, right this part's happening here, but I like think, we need um, to remember this has already happened, sort yeah. of thing. So, like, I think the way Xanthi structured it, like, certain scenes would be later in the schedule because of how much, like, emotional weight they hold and it would benefit a lot more from actors being very close to each other after working together for about a month and things like that. But other than that, it was mostly, like, out of order. Like, we started off with um, filming the graveyard stuff on day one, which is stuff from episode three and four. So, and then what did we finish on? The I think it was still episode six that we finished on. I yeah. can't remember. Episode six, but there was a scene from episode two that was our final day. Mm. But episode six was pretty well near the end of the production schedule. I actually, I love 
paperwork and scheduling and things like that. Like, that's my jam. Um, Good, because I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> as long as um, someone likes it. Yeah. So I Repeat, found... you are you're, you are very valuable to this industry because, <laughs> yeah, there's people like me who's just like, fucking paperwork. Oh, God damn. So. Um, yeah, I found it really interesting to kind of... I, when I was doing the scheduling, yeah, kind of thinking about what had emotional weight that kind of the actors need to, needed to go through certain aspects in order to get to that, mm. um, making sure that by the time we got to the really gritty stuff that we had established a rapport as a team, like the stuff that was really important to nail had to be a little bit later so that we could work out all the kinks for the team and everything like that. Um, yeah, that's really clever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and shooting it out of order isn't something that's no, it's um, not. foreign. Like, yeah. it's yeah. something it's that a lot of people you normally shoot do. stuff based off locations. So yeah. if you're, yeah. let's use your example, the graveyard, you shoot all the graveyard stuff, doesn't matter if it's one, episode one, two, seven, five, yeah. 60, doesn't matter. You shoot all the graveyard stuff uh, on that day, then you shoot all the basement stuff on this day. Hmm. That's a very common thing in the yeah. industry, yeah. yeah. And we were very lucky the place that we had as the house had the basement as part of it. So we kind of went up and down a few times um, in order to kind of work with the space that we had, mm. um, which that that it was an Airbnb that we ended up with for that location. And the owners were amazing and the whole experience was really amazing in their house as well. Um, but, yeah, so um, we were having to do a lot of location-based, like the church scene had to be... I think the church scene was one of the later... It was one of the last thing, I yeah, think. Later yeah, later locations, even though that's episode one and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were quite um, lucky with the house of being able to kind of work it around yeah. based on the content, um, which was good. Whereas a lot of places, like um, a lot of productions, they might have like certain scenes in one house um, for one location and then certain scenes in another house for... Meant to be the same location, then you've got a match and all that kind mm. of stuff. We were very lucky. Yeah. Mm. Question for you, Natalie. Yes. So, for from directing perspective, uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, deep and heavy themes. Yeah. Uh, especially when the father character comes into the story, there's a mm. lot of um, uh, intense stuff that goes on. I think yeah. it's fair to say. Yeah. Very. Um, so, from a director's perspective, what's it like working with your actors and kind of trying to get to that place? And then accomplishing that on screen. What's yeah. that like? I think like definitely as we were saying before, in, the rehearsals were really valuable because we kind of like, you know, everyone was open and emotional and it's like we all know these are very dark themes and we all know that at the end of the day it's obviously acting and we have these tools to bring out like this kind of acting. Like for example with um, the scene where Richard, he's walking up to Grace to um, violate her. The way we designed it is that... Um, for him to look upon her and think about something like that he loves, right? And to and then the audience would see that and associate that that he's expressing on his face with the what was going on in the scene. So like and especially with Cam, we work together cuz Faith's character is very has a lot of dark thoughts and goes through a lot of dark things and we would sit down and we would just kind of talk like you know related to our own lives, related to the character. Like, Cam was amazing. She really sat down. She was like, I want to get in the head of Faith. I want to be her for this production. I was like, yeah, I'm happy. Like, let's do it, you know? 
Mm. And yeah. Yeah, I think it's really uh, important is to have actors that are really committed to bringing yeah. the characters to life because so many actors just don't give it 100% and they don't mm. fully invest, especially on like lower budget things and a lot of student production type stuff. Um, the actors that I've worked with have always you know given me 100% so I've always been very grateful for the mm. for the talent that I've worked with um but yeah it's uh, interesting especially working in uh, the Brisbane local community with regards to actors sometimes you find some bloody good gems mm. and then other times you're just like yeah you're not going to make it but yeah. you know I think it's about what you give them as mm. well like that's the thing is that you guys had um, a good discourse and you were very open to the cast um, mm. having an opinion and being able to have their own take on things yeah, as well, sure. which I think a lot of actors really respond to. And if you're going to be someone who's just like, okay, this is your character, this is what you say, do it. Hmm. Like, as much as I'm the director, mm. I, I would ask them all the time, like, what do you think your character's feeling in this moment? Like what? What do you? Th- what's going on through your head, especially like to before we were shooting a scene to kind of help prep them into that mindset. Like, how does Faith feel after Peggy's done this to her, for example? Like, and sort of getting like those emotions up. Mm. Yeah, I think like Cam definitely, because obviously in episode six there's a lot of very dark moments where she kills people. She would like get into this mindset, like she would kind of go off on her own and be like, I'm just gonna get into the the mindset, and it was like. Like, because I haven't directed too often, but seeing an actor really put that much effort into it was just really like, like wow, she's she's doing that for us. You know, that's mm-hmm. been crazy. And it's because mm-hmm. you were so open to them getting the most out of it as mm-hmm. well. Um, whereas, yeah, just kind of saying like, yeah, just do it, mm-hmm. and not having that discourse. You can't expect an actor to be able to bounce off of that. They're, yeah. they're going to only put in as much as you put in. Mm. Um, so the, That's why the relationship between director and actor is so symbiotic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, And I think that that was a big thing was um, with the rehearsals we had. I was considering whether we don't do rehearsals and make sure that it's all very raw and things like that. But doing the rehearsals was very important to be able to yeah very wise definitely definitely being on set like i was saying like now that we've done all this rehearsal it's like all right you guys know what to do let's like talk about the character a little bit to get you into the headspace and then we can just shoot it pretty Mm. much if you're going to go with that raw approach where you're like all right let's make sure it's as authentic as possible you need to either do it in two ways you need to make sure it's you're working with improv type people and it's an improv type moment um, and the actors that are doing that are trained and, and talented at that, or you're doing it for the, a specific story reason. So, mm-hmm. like, um, the best example I have is in the first Alien movie, mm-hmm. right, where the xenomorph pops out of uh, the chest, right? Mm-hmm. So that moment, no one, I should say, none of the actors knew what was about to happen. They just knew that, I think it's John Hurt's character, right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, feeling unwell and something is about to happen but they none of the actors knew right so when that when the uh, xenomorph pops out of its chest and you see that gruesome shot that's mm. become iconic mm. none of the actors knew that was about to happen so and as a result authentic. they yeah. all reacted accordingly and it was authentic so mm. it all depends on your approach and your story and all that sort of stuff but that's a great example mm. of a moment where you're like all right let's go with this raw because mm. the reaction will be so much uh, greater because of it mm. um but yeah I, i'm always a proponent for rehearsals and, yeah. and my, what i've learned in my time at casting is that it's so important to do what you were doing and stuff is ask those questions and keep your actors engaged and, mm. and making sure that they're on the same page because one yeah. of the things that you do uh, in casting is that 
Um, because it's basically like a job interview, right? Yeah. You're like, all right, what do you see in the character? Mm-hmm. What about this character is interesting to you? And the way they answer that question will indicate whether they're right for the role or not. I know when I was casting uh, the Grad Slate project for um, Griffith Film School, uh, A Christmas Murder, uh, that was one of the key tactics that I utilize is like uh, that me and James, James mm-hmm. Marshall, the, the original director of that project, um, he, we were uh, asking these questions of like, all right, what do you think would happen now? And why do you think this would happen? And mm-hmm. what do you see in this character? Mm-hmm. And, you know, certain actors would give us a response. And then after they would, the, the uh, audition would conclude, we'd be like, all right, we could see why they thought that, but that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. And that's not the direction that the character would go in the story. Mm-hmm. And then you find other people who answer in a way it's like, wow, that was bang on. That's exactly what James, the director, mm-hmm. envisioned when he was writing the script. Mm-hmm. And when you find, again, that symbiotic relationship where you're both yeah. in the same wavelength, that's when you can kind of really work together in a really productive mm-hmm. way. So I think that's so important is mm-hmm. just making sure that you're all on the same page because, you know, if you're operating on this sort of perspective and then you know someone else is operating on this just yeah. different perspective that's when you get creative differences yeah. as a hollywood likes to constantly mm-hmm. say but um, yeah i absolutely like any kind of feedback it's like oh um what do you think if about this what do you think about that like i, I love to just keep talking to the actors about the character and especially when in rehearsals we could just talk about like different angles things could be taken and why taking it in this direction is better than this direction kind of thing and because especially I think like rehearsals really were good for this production because we had a lot of specific kind of camera angles and dynamics in terms of like someone standing above someone else especially because Faith is really in a vulnerable position the entire like um, the entire miniseries up until episode six where she has the power and she's suddenly standing over people and things like that. And she's even on a different side of screen as well. We kind of tried to make it so that um, in the earlier episode she was more to the right and kind of more to the corner so that she had a bit of headroom to look more vulnerable. And then as like it kind of progresses and her mindset starts to change, by episode six she's like in the top left corner, like pretty much, and everyone that was before above her is now below her. Mm. Yeah, because she's kind of killing them. Yeah, visual storytelling is really powerful <laughs> yeah. in that way. And a lot of projects get consumed by this, like, exposition dumps of, like, this is yeah. what's happening and, you know, trying to explain it to you like you're a dumb person. Mm-hmm. But I, I always really appreciate when directors and storytellers use visual storytelling as, like, mm-hmm. a key way of communicating what's really going on. I think Christopher Nolan's really good at that. Um, yeah, there's so many great filmmakers out there that Because, yeah, Xanthi's dialogue was very, like, it didn't explain to you what was going on. Like, we we just get put straight into the scene with Faith and her mother and the way their dynamics introduced immediately tells you, oh, I see what's happening. Mm. Like, she doesn't have to tell the audience she's a horrible mother. Just the, the thing she's saying is all indirectly expressing that. And then, like, with the way the camera angles are done and how we've edited it, it makes you feel like, oh, God, horrible mother, here we go. Mm. Mm. Any more thoughts on the project that you guys worked on, Smile? Anything else you want to share or stories or whatnot? Um, uh, it was just it was just such a pleasure to work with the cast and crew. That's mm. probably my biggest takeaway. Um, I mean, yeah, post-production was a nightmare. We did have some really good people mm. in post-production. Natalie, of course, was a big driver of the post-production so many times that I was just like, oh, I can't do anymore. This is just like, I can't handle it. But the fact that she was still so passionate about it and still such a driving force was um, was really a big save um, of that. And, um, and I guess if anybody's wanting to 
get people on their project, look into the cast and crew of, mm. um, of Smile because they're amazing people to work yeah. with. I was going to say, I'll have it linked below. You guys can definitely check it out. Um, it's available on YouTube, ready to stream. All the episodes are there. And uh, like uh, Natalie and Xanthi were saying earlier, it's a very digestible uh, bite-sized episodes. Um, so, yeah, definitely check it out if you're interested. Uh, I would highly recommend it. I quite enjoyed it. And uh, I think that's one of the most important things with regards to these short-form uh, stories that have a lowish budget is um, making sure that the technical side doesn't overwhelm the story. Hmm. And that would be my compliment to you is I feel the story was really, really engaging and it was able to keep me hooked from episode to episode. And by the time you see where the character starts off in episode one to where they get in the last episode and the journey that they've taken there, I found quite uh, interesting all the way through, but also in a weird way rewarding, even mm. though it's kind of fucked up the end. Yeah. Um, so, did, yeah. Did you, because this is my interesting um, aspect of it, is did you find her monstrous by the end of it? Like, were you still empathising by uh, the end of it? I or? wouldn't say she was monstrous. I would say she was, she had uh, descended to hell in a way that mm. was, she was irredeemable. Mm, yeah. um, and it's, it's interesting because she was kind of justified in the, the way she was thinking. Mm which I think is really, really like crazy to think because obviously the way her overprotective mother guided her throughout her life and then obviously the stuff the father had done to her, mm. it was kind of just a, a recipe for disaster. And then obviously I didn't know this when I was watching it, but when you were discussing all the stuff about uh, Medusa and all these you know gods and stuff and all the mythology that you were drawing from, mm. I'm like, ah, oh, I see what you were trying yeah. to go for there. <laughs> so it's really, really clever. So I, I yeah. Compliments to you and compliments to you yeah. for getting it done as well because uh, it's no easy feat bringing a script to the screen mm-hmm. so yeah. um, anything else you want to talk about or is uh um, we, do we wrap I think it there firstly like i'm so grateful that you brought me on board to direct because there were like i think you said a few others were interviewed and i was like ah <laughs> but yeah like um and like you said like i've always wanted to do justice to xanthi's vision and like because you've spent years on this production i just like if, if i can bring this to life in a way that xanthi is very proud of then i've done well yeah, yeah. and like if all the actors watch it and they say that that's fantastic of the crew watching they're like wow all my effort that i put into this really came up to be something beautiful then i'm really happy with that so yeah job well done guys really really good stuff um obviously the one big thing that i want to kind of leave us on is uh when you're working in an industry like this i think it's uh crucial that you're always trying to find the right people and working with the right people and uh, through conversations like this that i've really really enjoyed and that i think we, I th- hope we all agree, has been very productive and quite insightful. Uh, I think it's very important that everyone's uh, working towards a collective goal and that they're, again, on that train track, moving at a steady pace so that you know you don't get stuck and that things don't crumble because uh, mm-hmm. things crumble when you don't communicate and when you don't work together. And uh, to tie this whole kind of conversation up, I guess it's important to remember that we're all humans. We're all trying to strive towards our living our best life. We all want to find our purpose in life and and making sure that we're doing the best that we can and uh, we can all be a lot nicer to each other, whether uh, both in the real world and online, especially online. Yeah. Don't be like Faith. <laughs> exactly. Don't exactly. Be like Faith. So on that note, I will 
conclude this episode. I don't want to draw out too much more of uh, people's time. I think we're keeping it short, sweet, concise to the point, and uh, I think this was a really, really quality conversation. So thank you both for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you both for coming on. Yeah, thanks, thanks for inviting Kayla. us. It's been really great. Yeah. I was going to say, one of the things I try to do with this podcast is I want to try and uh, push out people's you know work that they've done and, and try and share that with other people. And uh, you know we, we only have a small audience here at Caleb's Conversation Podcast thus far, but whether it's one person that kind of jumps onto this series and really mm-hmm. enjoys it and finds something out of it and productive, I think would be, you know, you know, something that we've uh, accomplished together, I feel like through this conversation though. So yeah, thank you guys for coming on. And uh, that wraps up today's episode of Caleb's conversation podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, whether you are listening or watching anywhere around the world, uh, making sure that you guys are following the podcast link, subscribing to the channel, all that good stuff, uh, making sure you're staying tuned for more content like this uh, coming very, very soon. And uh, thank you very much for watching or listening. And uh, I will catch you in the next episode very, very soon. 